Today on the Byron Lazine Podcast, I get to sit down with Tim Smith, who owns the number one California Cobalt Banker team the entire state. He's number one in Newport Beach. You've probably seen some of his viral listing videos. He's the best in the business at just that. We talk about everything, some of his highest profile clients, and the behind the scenes of Teach Me How to Duffy. Enjoy the pod. I think that most agents have seen that are really in the game, have seen your listing videos and are just like, this guy creates the best content in the industry when it comes down to promoting properties. But a lot of agents probably don't know how much of a operator you are in the business. They may not know, understand how many deals you actually do. So before we get into some of the content stuff, why don't you just break down that side of your business? You're actually out there selling multi, multi million dollar homes and what's the business look like? So last year we did just over 800 million and that's coastal Orange County. So really from like Dana Point to Seal Beach, um, we did 264 transactions. I'm still a big player in that. I still do 80% of the business and I go even with Tom and like when we met, I'm yeah. constantly like, conflicted do i coach instead of play and do i just build a bigger team but there's just something about the deals that i just love and you know we've been talking a lot about these record sales we've had it really is a result of what we've created as a team and the creativity doesn't come from just me i have a great team and chris my partner which you met this morning like most of the creativity and the actual ability to execute on those ideas is comes from him you're absolutely a deal junkie do you think it has to do with the price point, you know, over 40 million plus on one property or, or do you, regardless of the price, would you be a deal junkie? So there's definitely more juice in the big deals, yeah. right? Like we talked about the story, but no, I love all the deals. And I really like, we talked yesterday on Tom's podcast. I think that an agent's ability to influence price is the greatest differentiator and, and there's a lot of things that go into that. So the difference between like last year, we basically analyze our data at the end of the year. And what we do is getting our sellers 11% more than the competition. Can an agent do that at any price point in any market? And so you're getting 11% more on your listing. So that's obviously a differentiator when you're talking about commission and your value and how you're going to list the property and present it. Can any agent do that in any market, get more for their listings? I think that there's the opportunity. I think there's some areas that are more commodity type sales, mm. yeah, which I, I think it gets a little more tricky, but like the power and ability to persuade somebody, like I've found in the years of doing deals at 200,000 up to 60 million, it's not what people pay, it's what they perceive they pay, mm. right? And what I mean by that, if you can defend the value, like we were talking about Emerald Bay, a home we just sold at a record price and it's, I, it's one that I'm most proud of. We sold it for $8,733 a foot. That's for new construction, right? We're not talking teardown stuff. That's different. But the highest price in the history of Orange County, we've seen three homes just, you know, creep over 5,000. Like that's a huge record and huge. a huge win. And when the sellers were introduced or when the sellers were interviewing like the five top agents, the three agents that they met with in Emerald Bay said they couldn't list it over 30 million because the comps didn't support it. And then my other biggest competitors said, hey, above 40 million is like no man's land. And I knew based on some other off-market stuff that we sold when you break it down, 
That lot, if you had it today, was 20 million. I mean, nobody could tell me it wouldn't be worth 20. And I mean, the lot or old house, they spent 15 million to build over the last six years. That was their real cost. So they were in at $3,000 a foot. That's how nice the house was. We had them rebid that at today's prices. That would have been 22 million. So you're talking about 42 million in actual replacement costs, not factoring in the time, six years. And I'm having these conversations with the buyers. I will go through that detail. What do you think the lot's worth? And I did with the buyer that actually bought it. Uh, what do you think the lot's worth? What would it cost to build? And then I'll say things like, hey, you're definitely in the second half of your life. But, you know, I don't want to really go there. But what's six, six years of your life worth if you had to build this? Like, they don't want to build that shit. Right. And with the increase in Orange County, we're seeing five times the amount of out-of-state buyers come here because COVID has made this a safe haven. Safety, climate, lifestyle. And I really take it upon myself to the, be the one shouting from the rooftops, this is where you want to come. So we had two buyers from out of state. They're not going to come and do a six-year project here. No. And so it's like when I say perception, when you start talking to a buyer that way, and then you start looking at kind of the Moscow rule of shopping, if you don't buy this today, you may never have another opportunity to buy it. I've never seen a new house on the beach in Emerald Bay in my career come available for sale. And so you start saying, well, when's the next one going to be? They're just like, okay, fuck it. I like, you're right. I want to buy it. A lot of agents were like, that'll never sell. You, you know, we said that before we started the pod, the agents were saying, this will never sell. You didn't even do a broker's open. You just focused in on your marketing, got the buyer, set a record. But where do we, is it lack of knowledge for agents that don't get that listing because they're, you know, I can't list it over 30 million. Is it their lack of knowledge or is it they're afraid to be quote unquote seen as buying a listing? Well, so I think it's a mix of that because that's a great question it's the lack of knowledge and experience in that price point with those buyers, right? As part of it. And I think there is some fear of not wanting to buy the listing, but I just know like, I mean, there's a conviction I have because I've worked on so many big deals. I knew for certain the night before we listed it, the sellers are like, we can't go over 40 million. I'm like, dude, just settle down. You were the only one that believed in the price. And they the actually, sellers, the you, other should, agents. you you got to watch the testimonial video. They admitted all this on a testimonial video, video that we actually shot in here. Yeah. Because I said, hey, they asked me, what do you need? We're so happy about this. I'm like, I just want you to do a testimonial video because I wanted people to realize like the sellers literally were like, we shouldn't list it over 40. We listed it at 48,995. We had a, it sold for 43 and a half million and we had a higher backup offer. And if we would have played chess right, I know we could have got more than 43.5. And you were the one that believed in the price over everybody. Yes. So that does come with experience. It comes with knowledge. I don't know why agents are always like worried about what other agents think. You've really never, you know, just looking at your book of work and your listening videos, you've never been worried about criticism. I want to get into that, but I want to stay on the sales tactics that you spoke to of talking a buyer through where they you know, should end up on price, on actually buying and feeling comfortable with it. What's more important to you, marketing to that buyer and getting the opportunity to have the conversation or having that sales skill and knowing what to say when you get in front of the buyer? If you can only have one, which is more important, the sales and the marketing? I think definitely the sales. Yeah. But I mean, the problem is, which we talked about, 
it's become so clear to us that our biggest obstacle in getting the highest prices are local agents and local buyers. Like to the extent where I wish I could show you all the DMs and, and messages that I got when we listed it from my competition and other agents and people like, ah, oh, that'll never sell, right? And that fuels me obviously. But in order for us to really continue to get these prices, we have to fish from a different pond. Mm-hmm. Like this pond would never get us a $43.5 million buyer. The local pond of Newport Beach yeah. because they already live here. They've been here multiple years. Yeah, they've seen every house that's sold. They watch it build. They're just like, I'm not. And there's some like, they got to save face. Like, I'm not going to be the guy that overpays. Yeah. Right. Until somebody does. And then they resell it. And you're like, okay, I should have done that. But it's like the key, though, in marketing is to try to activate buyers outside of or or actually where they live. That's where I thought your answer would be different because you're such a brilliant marketer. You've you've, so many videos we'll probably talk about teach me how to Duffy and all these listing videos that have gone viral for you. I thought you might go with that answer of the marketing that, you know, how I'm attracting buyers from, you know, the wealthiest buyers from different areas that come to Newport Beach as opposed to the sales side, but you're saying your sales skill of being able to talk them through the deal and get them, you know, to commit to the price is, is actually more valuable than the attraction. Well, you asked me the question. I thought I've been able to talk local buyers into these prices as well. Mm -hmm. Right. If I had to choose one, it would be your ability to be persuasive and be convicted because sales is a transference of feeling Mm -hmm. and it's not bullshit, right? It's just not, it's like that house you couldn't replace for 42 million bucks. Now, does that mean the market's going to agree with you? I mean, that's the sales part of it. Now, if I just had to market Orange County, I would have a difficult time setting the records that we've had, right? And so it's like, it really can't have one without the other. But what I see, I see a lot of, I see a ton of agents that I watch and I think they have marketing, whether it be like all the agents from the shows, right? The Selling Sunset, the Altmans, all that. But I think what they lack, they have that big net that I think helps to drive people there. I think they lack the specialized knowledge and the conviction and ability to persuade somebody to buy it, right? So it's like, I don't know what is more important. I think they're both like, you can't really do one without the other if you want to do it effectively and scale it. But I think that they're, yeah, they're both very important. Your sales skills and your persuasion, how much of that, because you're such an advocate of your area of like come to Newport beach. Anytime I hear you're always talking about this is the best place to live. Well, how was our coffee this morning? How's the studio? It's this epic, right? Our studios. In, we're in, we're in Tim's studio. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Uh, what you've, what you've built here. I mean, everything that you've built is amazing, but your, your conviction of this being the best place to live, it's so authentic and you like scream it at the rooftops. How much of that plays into your persuasion to get people to act and move here? I think it's a lot. And I think my biggest, I mean, COVID really like confirmed what I always knew because everybody's like, well, okay, what, what really happened at COVID for me? The first 20 years of my career, I felt like I was selling homes against other major metropolitan areas. When we would get the well buyer in, they'd be looking at Montecito, Malibu, LA, New York, Miami, they would always choose those other areas just because Mm. Orange County was sleepy. The industry wasn't great, but it always had this cool beach vibe and it was super safe. When COVID happened, people started to think, first of all, I don't really need to work from an office the same way I've done over the last two decades. 
right? I'm hyper-focused on safety, right? I'm hyper-focused on lifestyle and climate, and we have that. And so we've seen five times the amount of out-of-state buyers that are buying these trophy properties since COVID. So that's really confirmed my kind of bias to Orange County. But I've always felt this way. And my partner, Chris, like he travels everywhere for, you know, film stuff. When I travel, I come back here. I'm like, dude, there's no greater place to live. Do you see that shifting right now with people going back to the office? I don't think people, I think people, there's definitely industries where people will go back to office. But I think the leaders of industry now that work. Which is your buyer. Which is my buyer. I think they're still working remotely. They're doing the office thing, but I think this has given them reason to work remotely. What, so, what would be your advice to an agent who doesn't work in as sexy of a market as Newport Beach to have the passion that you have about your local community in their area of expertise? I mean, I think that anywhere you go, and we'd really have to do a case study, like what are we talking about, Boise, Idaho? Could what? be any, yeah, right? So I middle America like, or just, just your average American town. I think there's, you know, I talk to my new agents about this all the time. There's some sort of, people have to feel a certain way before they can act with confidence and conviction, right? Mm. Like I have to know everything. I have to know everything about the transaction. I have to know everything about the markets. I'm like, but do you really? Or could you have focus on what you're convicted about and what you feel confidence and just do it? I Go think, all in on it. Yeah, I think it's a choice. And I think that you have to figure out and you have to really be one that is focused constantly on the highlights or the attributes of wherever you work. And that's what you focus on. And you will attract the people that agree with you. You don't care at all about what other people say about what you're doing. So it allows you to go all in on your convictions and beliefs. Going back to COVID, you came out with those two listing videos where the second one was the one that probably went most viral and got all the publicity, but people didn't watch the first one. And I'm talking about like his dream versus her dream, those two listing videos. And you got a ton. I know on the her dream video, you got a ton of just comments that were off the wall comments and people you know, were kind of hating and trolling you in the comments. Walk me through that. And then why do you just not care what other people think, where I think a lot of agents would take that to heart and, and really dwell on, on the trolling? Well, so I think I've tied what I do to making money, mm -hmm. right? I understand what I do best and my end goal is to make money. And if you're doing it right, you have to do it with integrity and do it right. So I don't care, but that's because I'm successful. If I wasn't successful, I really would care. You but would listen to those comments. I might, but it's just like I'm successful and it works. And one thing that we, you know, when we did teach me how to Duffy, I mean, it really hit in a way that nobody was expecting. And like yeah. the first weekend, probably, I mean, it was like 50, over 50 national, international and local media sources picked it up. And can't it, pay for that. You can't pay for that. But like what it also brought is people were coming down to the, this home in their Duffy's at 11, 12 at night, <laughs> drunk with the song playing, yelling to the house, Tim, come and teach me how to Duffy, right? So that shit created like a real storm for the clients. And one night I was like, well, I guess call the cops. Like, what can we do, right? I don't know how to solve this problem. We're trying to create publicity on your house. Which you're doing. Which we're doing. And we went through, really, we went through a really like close encounter with like they wanted to take the film down after it just went viral the first three days i'm like we can't based on some 
feedback he had some from some friends you know east coast that saw it he realized oh my gosh people on the east coast that have money are seeing this i don't really care but one thing about publicity you know publicity good or bad draws energy and it gets people talking and chris my partner and i like we're always trying to do things unconventional because a lot of times the stuff that we do that is unconventional makes people talk more and when I'm getting a lot of energy, whether it be like, why would you do that? This guy was dreaming about being in the house with his wife's sister and they do this. Like that's that's the COVID video that that's I mentioned. sketchy, right? Yeah. And so, but it's like that creates conversation yeah. and conversation builds to the brand. Was, was that video the most negativity you received of any listening video? The dreaming about my wife's sister in a house, that, that particular COVID video. Do you feel overwhelmed and too busy building your real estate business right now to do things you know you should be doing, like posting on social media, doing clips like we're doing on Broke Agent Media, these short little reels and TikToks every single day to keep up with the content machine that you need to be keeping up with? Or maybe it's the transactions that are wasting all your time so you're not actually lead generating and doing the income producing activities that you know are gonna help you make the most amount of money in the investments that you want into your future. This is why I have used virtual assistants and use them today with VirtuDesk to help scale both of my companies. See, I wouldn't be able to make all of these clips and do all of these other things I'm doing without the help of somebody taking off these non-income producing activities that need to get done to be of great service to our clients. So at least have the conversation, click the link, have the conversation with VirtuDesk. In fact, you can just start interviewing people without really any commitment at all. So at least start interviewing, seeing if there's somebody that is a fit for you, your values, your team that can add and take away all of the things that you're doing right now. Have the conversation today. You will not regret it. I think we've had, I mean, a lot of videos that, you know, it just depends. There's different demographics that feel differently about it, but that was definitely one of the race year. And we've always been kind of like, let's not be the guys that sex sells. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's not what we're about. Anybody can do that. It's like stand-up comedy. Anybody can talk trash and make people laugh. It's like, who can do it right? And we're really about quality of film. The you know? context that a lot of people didn't pick up on was that you had released... The first one. The first video, which was her dream, yeah. right? And so, yeah. you know, but because of, you know, the way that one hit and kind of went viral, everybody focused on, on right, that one video. Sure. So are you a believer in all press, all publicity is good? Or is there a line there where you might cross the line at, at some point? Because you said it like, hey, you know, you're creating an energy, whether it's, you know, there's negative comments or positive comments. So are you a believer in that, that old saying where all press is good press? I mean, there's a portion of that's true, i.e. Kim Kardashian. Yeah right now the whole big talk right now is whatever the guy's name going all the way back to the beginning of her and and rj or whatever yeah. said oh this was all engineered right, right. well okay so the he, fact he's saying that the mother actually watched the videos to like to approve which one should go out which is you know we're getting into some big conspiracy theory or maybe not conspiracy <laughs> yeah. but it's crazy which is whether it's true or not yeah. just the thought it's of more it, press if that is really true, shouldn't that mean that everybody should stop liking the Kardashians because that's horseshit? But no, it doesn't no. matter. It's They are where they are. Actually, the army is defending Kim and the Kardashians overwhelmingly. Right. right? Even though he's saying, oh, this is how it all started, right? 
their fans are are defending them. Yeah. So I would say, I would say, yeah, I think there's a big part of that. I think all press is actually press that can build a brand. Now, I think you have to design that and I think you have to take certain risks. Yeah. And I don't think that like you can say that emphatically, but I do think like a lot of the ones we just did one where I was dancing and singing and all my friends I grew up with are like, seriously, bro, like you crossed the line. That was like, but I'm like, but you're talking about it and you yeah. actually watched it and you actually shared it with all of our college buddies <laughs> and you all talk shit. And I'm like, hey, I'm taking risks. But it's like so it's like sometimes the more risk you take, the more opportunity for reward. And we're talking about my whole goal is to get eyeballs on our listings. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, we talked about this. I haven't been a big like brand guy. People are like you only have 30,000 Instagram followers. That's not my focus. My focus is continuing to sell listings at record prices and building, you know, a community around that. Cause I watch some of these guys that have millions of followers and they don't sell any real estate. Yeah. Right. But I do think well, now, that's why I started the pod. You're a true operator. You're a practitioner. You're selling hundreds of millions every day, every year. What are you, what are you the last couple of years? Close to a billion just under. So last year we did just over 800 million yeah. and this year we're on pace to do better than that. That's a big, huge takeaway on this pod when you're listening right now is that it's not just about creating this content that's creating a buzz and getting, you know, free PR, you're backing it up with the sales at a top, you know, 10th of a 1% level in, in this country. And we have a very small team relative. We have 15 agents and we're in the large team category. Yeah. Just because we have all of our employees. When you're talking are, about like real trends definition yeah, or whatever. So it's like, like, I'm pretty proud of what we're doing in Orange County. We don't have the marketplace like New York or LA or some of these where you know, there's just, if you look at You're the TAM, abundance of inventory, the, at that yeah, price the point. total like addressable or yeah. achievable market, we don't even have a big enough market to really be able to compete in some of these areas. So we look at ourselves and we're proud of what we're doing for, for doing it. But I do think, you know, as I've watched all these shows and I like, I know all the guys and I like the guys in the shows as I've watched them, I've kind of joke, like if there was a show that could be done right, I would do it now because i've realized like that type of exposure that they're getting is like wh where else can you get that well we'll see you know john we, we've had dinner with john grom and his netflix show that they're doing with the agency might it's supposed to be it seems that. like when we had dinner in dallas i literally am like that is the perfect show yeah now maybe the marketplace doesn't like it maybe You're they right. like the like the well, trash the, the drama whatever will the everyday consumer react to real estate content that doesn't include drama i right. don't know about that yeah and chris and i have talked about that for years because we have the best designers, builders, architects, they're all friends. Why wouldn't we make something that was like real estate porn, but more real estate with all of the stuff here? Because we have such interesting coastlines, but we've never done it. And I'm not sure that the market would really love it. Well, on the flip side, the code that has been cracked to that to some degree is what HGTV did. There's not a lot of, dra there's there's drama in like, what decision are they gonna make, right? On, on the house, but you know, it's more PG drama as opposed to like what right. Bravo or Selling Sunset has done. Right. So there is. Do you watch those shows? I don't. Yeah. I don't watch any of them. I literally HGTV have, or the I other have side. never watched any yeah. of them. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some of them. I don't yeah. watch any yeah. of them, right? Um, just not, especially being in the business, it's not something. It is, you know, it's like watching the Kardashians, which we talked about before, right? right? But it's very helpful going back to your point on building the brand, getting the awareness. Right. And so, 
an agent right now who's maybe just starting out or maybe they're a veteran agent that has got to kickstart their business like how much of the time should they put into generating a buzz I mean, I'm, I'm going back a little bit to that marketing versus sales and and doing the sales doing the deals what's the balance for an agent right now trying to figure that well, out I, I mean it's funny because i've watched like all these little reels and things that agents are doing all over and i'll look at little agents that are in utah or idaho and they have a hundred thousand followers and they sell 12 million a year yeah there's a little there's a ton of those agents it's, by the and way, it's like tons. i think and i think there's something to be said for that because it's bringing exposure to get them more business in their marketplaces but i do think that the, our, our focus has been we create content to activate buyers on our properties, mm -hmm. not on me. Yeah. Right. And we've done that very successfully, but it's very expensive because not only when you create and I think that people are starting to be able to duplicate and create films like we can create never. If you're a true film person, like nobody is filming on red cameras, nobody has a crew or has the background that I that I have with my partner. The equipment, I can speak to it, that you have in here is probably no agent in the country has equipment to this level. Right, and so it's like we pride ourselves on that, but we also have long-term goes in film that we're gonna do. And so, and I think this, I mean, this is just a side note, so watch out for the next few years. Now that the world knows about Newport Beach, we're gonna create some films that aren't films for real estate in Newport Beach that, the market's ready for, yeah. right? And so I think that this plays like a side role, but I do think that like, we've always been into film for, even before I met my partner, Chris, on this, I was up in helicopters getting film crews from LA 12, 15 years ago, flying over houses. Cause I'm like, dude, this is the future. People wanna be able to- Before drones. Before drones. Yeah. We were in helicopters, like that was like, and these films took eight to 10 weeks to create when the seller wants the listing on tomorrow. So there was always this conflict, but I do think I could probably learn from some of those Utah or Idaho agents to build a brand because the more eyeballs on me, the more eyeballs on the property. And I think that's something that we're focused on now. We just haven't been focused on, but I do think you need to use the channels of not just creating, there's a, a lot of ways to distribute the content you know, geographic, you know, digital strategies to get to buyers that, you know, are like in the path of migration to these places. Like, I think there's a lot more back end, a business side of it that actually can show you that it's worth the money to spend. Right. Yeah, so many agents right now are caught up in like the Gary V messaging of I'm going to build this personal brand and let that personal brand funnel into my business. You're like, no, I'm going to create these listing videos and this content to help me get the next listing. So how does Tim Smith on the next listing appointment talk about that with a seller and get them to actually sign the listing room? Because you said something yesterday, like, hey, we're in the business of listing appointments and getting contracts signed. So how does Tim Smith get the contract signed and explaining what the content side can do to help them get their home sold at a record well, price? So the good news about that is, you know, when we first started creating films, I don't think they sold the house. I think they sold the sellers. Mm -hmm. But now we've realized that they actually can sell the house if you can distribute it accurately, right? So walk me through the distribution of the video if I'm the seller. Okay, so we'll go back to the Teach Me How to Duffy film. When I listed that, it was so funny because at, the, at that time there had never been a home on the bay, especially in that location, anywhere in the realm of that price. And so I immediately we got so much pushback. If I, I think I still have... 
a couple of voicemails from people that sellers or buyers that call me that are just like, you'll never fucking get that, blah, blah. Like, I don't even know why it want, why they wouldn't want me to get it, right? Mm. Um, but anyway, when we started yeah, with, right? yeah, like, why wouldn't you want me to get it? But when we started, we realized, okay, nobody local is going to support us, right? So what can we do with this? So we started using a digital strategy called geofencing. We were geofencing all of the private jet centers on the Western United States, right? Now, what does that mean? That means if you have your phone and keep in mind, this was 2017, 2018, technology has really advanced since then, right? Sure. But to give you like the whole case data, the first three months on the market, I had five or six verbal and written offers up to 25, 26 million, right? We were listed at 45. We weren't expecting to get 45. We wanted to shock the market with that. Our hopes was to get in the mid to high 30s. And we talked this through with the seller. So this was expectation set. After seeing like what Newport Beach, we doubled down on our efforts to do the geofencing. Well, in the fifth month, call it or fourth month, we get a call from a guy that's from South America, largest agricultural family in South America, dropping his kids off at boarding school up in, in Palo Alto. And as soon as he walked him through the campus, he's like, oh my gosh, we've made a grave mistake. My kids are not gonna fit in here. They're like water kids. They love the water, the ocean, whatever. So his daughter, when they flew in, and I'm assuming on their G550, they flew in, found the film, started laughing, showed it to her brothers. Yeah. Later at dinner, the dad looked like, what are you guys watching, right? So the geofencing actually worked on the daughter's phone. Mm -hmm. And then the dad looked at the video and basically sent us a text or a DM or whatever, or email and said, hey, where's this house and how much is it? Three days later, we're picking him up at the jet center. I'm taking him to meet the principal of the public school, the private personally. school. Personally. Yeah. And then I take him down to the house. He starts his offer at 35 million bucks. Starting point. Where you thought you would end up. Yeah. I told the seller, I guarantee, I call it my confidence interval rate, that I can guarantee with 90% certainty that I'll achieve 32.5. So then we get another guy that just sold a company for 8.6 billion that's flying from Jackson Hole to Utah. He sees the film. He says, hey, I'm building down there. And this is, this is a good example of the marketing and the sell side. I'm building down on the end of the peninsula. I wanna look at this house for ideas. Well, so then my in-house sales team gets a lead. They start looking him up. They figure out he just sold this company for 8.6 billion. And then I was like, okay, if he's building down there, I would know what lot it is. And I was hyper-focused that it was a Bayfront lot. Then it dawned on me, he was building on an interior lot. I'm like, as soon as he comes down here, he just had a huge pay. He is not going to build on an interior lot. He's going to buy this. Or he'll build the guest house on the interior lot. Well, that's lot. exactly what he's done. So sure <laughs> enough, he comes down here and he's like not going to leave until he has this house. And so we get in a multiple bid situation. It basically gets up to 37.5. Right. And my buyer, unfortunately, just didn't believe he had to come up or maybe he didn't believe that we had another offer. Sure. And so, you know, a few days after he's like, did I miss it? Like, I should have come higher. I'm like, I, dude, I told you with everything I had, this is your chance. Moscow rule of shopping. I just couldn't persuade him to get up there. But what's interesting about that. So that's the comma. Let's say that was the exclamation point to a incredible sell, which was a record sell. The comma is I wrote an offer on that house three months ago for 65 million bucks. The same house. Same house. Wow. So that goes to 
the new that's why i'm shouting from the rooftops right like that yeah. you can't tell me that in three years the house is doubled in price you walked your seller through this whole scenario of how you were going to geofence at the listing appointment what your strategy was going to be how much time like actual time did you spend with that seller from the initial listing appointment to launch like sitting down with them and, and walking them through everything. Like what's a, how long is a listing appointment on these types of properties? Okay. So that's a great question. Like I'm very concise. Okay. Our commitment to you, Mr. Seller is that we'll deliver just over 28 million impressions on your house through all our different channels of marketing distribution. Now, are you bringing like a screen to show or like I glossy used, material? I like, used what, to, are you, what are you bringing to a listing? So I used to bring all that stuff. Yeah. But now I've like, do you we, feel like you lose them when you have them looking at all this? Other I stuff? feel like you can. And so yeah. now what I've done, like so many people know what we do. It's not a secret anymore that I go in there and I sit down and I just listen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think we talked about this yesterday on the yeah. podcast. It's like when I was early in the business, it was all about like data. And then in my 30s, it was all about sales. Now it's all about stories. Like I have stories that support every concern they could have. Right. And these stories, and this is what I tell my agents. And this goes back to the confidence versus conviction. If my agents are in my group and they technically weren't a part of that cell, but that was our cell, shouldn't they be able to rehearse that story as if they were part of it? Because it's true. Right. Know the story. And that's what I'm talking about confidence and conviction. They have the script. Yeah. They were a part of the team that did it. But they have to choose to have the confidence and the conviction to go about it. And I, I don't know why I tell my son this all the time. He plays basketball. I love basketball. Yeah. Always have. But he's like, but I'm like, hey, bro, it's like he gets really upset because sometimes he will only take the shots when he like gets in there. I'm like, you know what? Shoot up all the shots at this point, right? Because the guy that's shooting up all the shots that has all the confidence that doesn't have anything to back it. When he shoots up enough shots, he's going to get in the in the mode. It's like you don't have to be perfect to be able to take the shot. Take those shots. Yeah. And you have the script. And so going back, so my listing appointments sometimes are so short because I'm just asking them. Like, I want to just talk about what they expect. This is what we can do for you. We've done it over and over and over again. I can take you through that whole thing. But tell me what your objectives are. You know, tell me what that looks like. How do you want this to, you know, because ultimately when they really start talking, then you can really like answer questions with the data, with the presentation part, besides just like the forced presentation where you know they're not look, listening. You know what I mean? So my listening presentations have totally changed. Sometimes I won't even open a book. In having the stories to back it up, how much of name dropping comes into these listing appointments where it's like, I worked with so-and-so, I worked with so-and-so, or do you stay away from that? It just depends. I mean, there's sometimes that that helps. Depends on the person, like you reading them and you think they'll react yeah, to that. Yeah, for sure. But it's like, no, I'm not name dropping. I mean, and we don't have, you know, we have Wall Street celebrities. We don't really have celebrities. This is in LA, so people don't really care. But it depends on, I'll drop names that I know that they know. If there's a connection. So that like I can, and generally I'll ask their friends to be a reference for me. And they're generally a great reference for me. So you'll hit up people they know to reach out to them direct. Do you do that often on listing appointments where you've got other voices coming to the seller saying, hey, I work I will try to give as many references as I can to people they know. And the one thing that and Mark them Cuban agreed to now that I'm name dropping yeah. is I try to get him to post something on Instagram and he's like, not a chance. He's like, if you give me, if you, if you, get, <laughs> this is funny, <laughs> if you will 
give me all your commission. I'll do it. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. So Mark Cuban billionaire wants your commission. Well, so no, I asked him to make an Instagram post like, Hey, Tim's a great agent or whatever. Right. Yeah. And he's like, only if I, it was something like, and really he just doesn't do that. But I think if I would have given him the commission, he probably would have done it. Like who wouldn't. Right. But he said, I will, if you have anybody that's interested, I'm happy to take a call. And yeah. I've, and I've had maybe two or three people call him in three years. Now, so I'm not using him to like, right? But I'm like somebody that would know him or be like, you know, similarly out of state. And I've had a couple of people call and he gave me a great reference. Working with Mark Cuban, are you working directly with him? It sounds like you are, or are you working with other people around him? I, well, that was a really interesting transaction, but you're working with him on the showings, but you're generally like not working with him. On the details? Yeah, the details. Yeah. Yeah. How did if you can speak to it, how did you get a client like Mark Cuban? We basically geofence his office. And he, and he, I don't know that he knows that, but he actually sent a response back. This is kind of funny because, you know, when we get these leads back, so our yeah. in-house sales team gets paid per appointment, right? They are hyper-focused on getting the, the leads to the house or me yep. to the seller. And generally, you know, we used to have this database that we had to get approved by the government and we actually got blocked from it because they said we were using it when we, we, we weren't, but it's like, so we would, we go through and we'll get these responses. We're trying to figure out who these people are. And a lot of times they're like, their email has nothing to do with it. But right when he came in, it's like, Hey, is this house for lease? And it was from Mark at markcuban.com, which was hilarious, which he probably doesn't like that. I just said that online, but it's like, he, yeah. So to see that we got that right away. So that's how we found him. And we actually leased him. I don't know if we technically leased him. He looked at leasing a house in early spring and then we sold it to him in December. But that transaction, I mean, there's a whole story to unpack on that transaction at some other time. Le you, you do leasing and sales. It sounds I like. mean, we do, but it's leasing is, is not a, a big focus. No. On like but you're not turning it down because of, like a lot of agents would be like, I just asked an agent in Naples, Florida, said, Hey, would you take this, you know, this lease? It's like a $20,000 a month lease. And the guy owns properties all over the country. It's like, no, I, I don't do leases. So I gave it to somebody else. Right. But turning that down, he turned down a relationship with yeah. this developer who already owns two properties that are multi-million dollar properties in that town. He likely will sell and buy a few in the next couple of years. He's just doing deals all over the place. So for an agent that's taking the stance of I don't do leases, are they turning down future opportunities? I think they definitely are. And this is like business. You go back to operations, find somebody that can represent you well to do your lease listings that will Where be Where you stoked. keep the relationship, yes. but they do the, the lease. Like not to do, like to give up that relationship. Now, am I going to take lease listings or go market for lease listings in every neighborhood? No, but am I going to turn down a lease listing of one of my clients? Absolutely not. You'd be crazy to. Do you have a system every day to like keep in touch with all these relationships you've created? Like, a, you know, as high level as a Mark Cuban or, or, you know, somebody that you've just done some lower end, whatever your lower end is, maybe 5 million or I don't know what your, what's your low end? So kind of like one and a half. One is, and a half million. Is, okay. Is, so you go entry level around. So here. entry level, somebody that's done a couple entry level transactions to a Mark Cuban. How do you keep in touch with everybody? Well, so that's what we're kind of operationalizing right now. Like we have a role, which we met yesterday when we were yeah. doing the planning, where it's like she's actually taking over client care. 
right? And we call her like my chief of staff, right? I love that name because that's what she is. And so it's now her, like I physically can't keep in touch with Everybody. three to 5,000 people that are in my SOI. I do things that I know they'll want. We do our market updates monthly and they love our market updates. Like I'll have people send them around just because it's data driven, but then it's my pulse, right? And it's me shout from the rooftops, prices are going up because I believe it, right? So I have conviction, but sometimes, you know, we had this conversation yesterday. It's like the Cold War, right? Yeah. We're in this Cold War situation. And when you, Tom and I together, it's almost like a fire, three different sticks that are burning. When I left and I started talking to clients last night and this morning, like, I'm like, I lost some of that conviction as they came at me with, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about that? You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> surrounding yourself with people that feel similarly. And I was talking to my friend today. I'm like, I feel like I'm in like a battle, like an epic battle and like Braveheart. And we're definitely losing. Right. And everybody's like, I'm fucking out of here. This market's going in the shitter because anytime you turn the headlines on and I'm like that guy, William Wallace, I'm like freedom and like everybody's like <laughs> i feel like that's where we're at but why not be that yeah right we you can't show me in the data that inventory is growing at a rate that's going to create some downward pressure on pricing yeah. i mean inventory shrinking and it's 30 percent below the last 10-year trend but it's like really it's crickets out there you can see the data for less transactions but not a plummet in pricing right yeah. for sure and so when i see that i'm like that even bolsters up my conviction if i know there's buyers out there that maybe they're you know few and far between i'm going to attract them they're going to buy my properties right and this is where leakage comes in now we're talking about leakage in our meetings because we there's two significant purchases happening right now that are in escrow that were buyers that we were working with. And they're not they're writing not, with you. No. And it's one of those things where we get a lot of inbound referrals mm -hmm. where people aren't ready or this or that. And you know how you have to incubate and hold their hands and maybe we didn't do it to the extent that we were supposed to. And they're like burning in my mind because both of them are significant purchases and they're working with great agents, but we were first connected to those people. Wow. So how, it's how many agents in that price point, you know, and this happens to every agent in every market. How many agents are they contacting? I mean, it's like when they start their search. So this think? is what I found interesting. So we just showed a house. I sold a house in Crystal Cove for 61 million in 2020. There was a international buyer that was coming that was looking to make a significant purchase. And when I showed up at the showing representing the seller, there were four different buyers agents there. So that goes to show like when you have somebody that's worth, you know, 10 plus billion that's connected throughout the world, everybody wants a piece of that, right? So you have people jockeying for that. I had the listing. I'm not worried about that, but it was an interesting dynamic. I don't know it's they're reaching reaching out to so many, but I think everybody's trying to like guide them and lead them and get their little four different four buyers. competing buyer agents. Correct. And so what was the scene? It's your listing. You've got a 60 plus million dollar <laughs> listing and there's four buyer but agents that show up and they all think they're working with the buyer. What was that scene? Well, we're, so we were, we, I mean, we we're quoting 150 million. That's what he would sell it for. Right. And that was the number. If they weren't okay with that number, don't show it. But it was just kind of a, I mean, it was a shit show and it was almost embarrassing for the buyer and the seller, but I get it. Like everybody got connected to this buyer through different channels that backed the buyer. And so they all felt very 
convicted that this was their buyer and they showed up. Did they all show up thinking they were going to be the only buyer agent there? I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went into this. And like, I literally had two homes to show this buyer. One of the homes like opted out because there was so much conversation and narrative that even got back to them. Wow. So it was like, it was awkward. But I mean, I think it worked well. Everybody was actually respectable when they got showed up. He didn't end up buying this house. I don't know what he bought. I've heard, and I think I do know, but I don't know who represented him. And I'm like actually friendly with all of the agents that were there. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tricky situation, but that goes back to what your question was, is like, how many agents are they talking to? It just depends, right? And it's like, it depends on how active they are and connecting and, and, but people need attention. And as like, we talked about this yesterday, one of the things like market bashers, right? When mm-hmm. pe- buyers start calling me and they're bashing the market, I literally like in my mind, I'm like, I'm not working with this guy because I don't, I know that I can't turn his opinion to get him to pay the price that's going to happen today. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it doesn't mean we're not going to incubate him. But I've just been down that road. I'm looking. I'd rather play like duck, 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 goose or like kiss a lot of frogs, you know, whatever that saying is to talk to the person that says, I want the house that fits for my family or fits for me. And I'm willing to pay if you can find it. Yeah. Right. So I'd rather spend time because you know how buyer that whole buyer, especially in a situation where I'm operating a business, like I'm really hyper focused on listings. Right. And I'm not working with a lot of buyers, but you can't turn down great buyers, you right. know? So you're looking for the at-bats of people that are buying lifestyle over, I need a house. Correct. Yeah. But you know that, and maybe it's different in marketplaces. Like I, I spend 90% of my time defending our market and like, yeah, you can't really clump Orange County Coastal into the overall economy. I get that there's some possibility that real estate market, even yesterday when we we're going through all the data, that just reinforced that like, there could be some price correction, but we're not at 2008. But when you talk to a lot of these smart people, they just kind of lump everything together and say, hey, the market's shitty. Three months ago, I found myself up at 2.30 in the morning. I had five different clients that are all more successful than me, way wealthier, that were basically telling me, hey, we're coming into the winter. Like, this is Game of Thrones shit. And like, the White Walkers are coming over the wall. And I'm like, in like, sweats. Like, and I was like, literally, I thought, you know what? No, I'm not taking that. I'm actually going to call them back individually. Like I need to stand like it's time to be more aggressive, punch back. So I went through and spent the time with all five of those prospective clients. That These are, are Wall Street level people. Wall Street level people. And you know how every, every conversation ended after I sat down with them for an hour, hour and a half? Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Newport probably won't be infected. So you called them and said, I need to come see you to discuss the market. Was it that simple? It was, I need to uh, like, Hey, we had the conversation. I need to chat. We need to talk more about it. Like, and it's not, I'm trying to get a listing or I'm trying to get, no, it's like, I really want to know, like, do you really think that you run a national home building company? Do you really think Newport is going to see a 20 to 30% drop? Like, tell me why you think that one of the guy was a Harvard MBA, went to Yale, whatever. And so we were going back and forth and I was listening intently and taking and focusing. And then I started talking about our data points and I started talking about this and I started, and within a half hour with all of them, they're like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, it's not like they wanted to sell their home here, which I probably could have got more than they bought it for. 
they just kind of wanted to clump it in, get ready. But then when they really start focusing and I start with my pitch, you know, we live in this impenetrable bubble of Newport Beach. I mean, even a perfect example, we had a, this is a really kind of funny story. If you, we had a, not funny from a standby safety, but we had a carjacking that ended up from Fashion Island into my neighborhood and they caught the guy in the back of one of my listings. And wow. we actually had the cameras in there, but there were three police helicopters up. The guy was 24 years old, had gotten rid of the gun, right? Had a gun when he was carjacking. There must have been 50 police cars. And what I want to promote from that is like in LA and New York, they're not even worried about somebody like this, right? We are like shutting down every police station <laughs> in, you yeah. know, coastal Orange County to come. It was like ridiculous. Three police helicopters that were flying for seven hours to catch one 24 year old that no longer had a gun. Right. Well, right. that's our commitment to safety. You go to LA an hour north of here, you get a ticket. <laughs> if you, if you, if you only get a, if you get a ticket, if you get caught stealing something under a thousand bucks. Yeah. And if you rob somebody at gunpoint or without a gun, there's no more penalties. Why wouldn't you use a gun? Why do LA people defend that so much? Like what's happening up there? I didn't know they did. Honestly. There's a lot of LA people that will defend, oh, it's not that bad, or the news is like hyping it up. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just seeing the LA people that are trying to flee LA. So, so that's a real thing to here in Orange County. You're seeing a lot of LA people say, I, I need to get out of here. I want to be for sure. somewhere else. Absolutely. Like the homeless issue, you know, the crime issue, it's just like what's happened in politics there with, you know, the district attorney it's become really difficult for, especially for families. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know, I haven't been up there a ton. I haven't noticed it, but I did go up there. You know, we took a listing up in the Beverly Hills flats and I was up at my contractor friend's office and it used to be like beautiful. I felt like I was in like Beverly Hills, but there was like homeless camps in the back of his office. And it's like, I don't know how you address a homeless issue. Right. I don't know how like, you know, well, no, you have, nobody has an answer for it. Obviously. Yeah. You have Rick Caruso, who is a billionaire down here that's trying to run up there because uh, I mean, that's his city. But I don't know how you like, how do you address that? Right. How do you change that? I don't know how you change that. It seems like a slippery slope to me, you know? Yeah. But you're still seeing that trend of migration out. Maybe they don't want to leave California, but migration. Northern out. California, L.A. There's I mean, it's got to be 35 percent of the buying pool right now which before COVID, nobody wanted to come here from LA. I felt like so few people want to come here because there's just not the nightlife. The it's whole, not late night enough. Yeah, it's just not as sexy. They don't have Hollywood, but now you have, I know we're seeing even like Hollywood people come and buy homes down here and look down here because it's great, man. Yeah. You know, it, you're, I mean, we talked about it earlier, your conviction for this area yeah. is unbelievable. I think a lot of agents, no matter where you are, Maybe you grew up in the community that you're working in or maybe you relocated, but having this level of conviction, even if it's just a normal average American town is going to help you in your business so much. It's going to help you attract listings like you have. So what's, let's end it with like, what's your next big move or, or next big piece of advice you could give to, to any agent, whichever way you want to take that, maybe your move personally or or something you want to leave the audience? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure exactly who the audience is, but I would just say like, I love this business. Like I feel so fortunate that I found something that really fits all my attributes. And I think when I started, you know, almost 27 years ago, my first job in real estate, 
it wasn't what it is today, but I just think it's such an amazing business. And at the end of the day, like I'm like a relationship person. Like I don't know of another business you can actually serve people. Hmm. Like you really do. Like when I get to the end of it, the commissions are great, mind you. Yep. Right. But when you sell something that nobody else thought you could and you deliver and you bring everything said you'd bring, there's some feeling about that that you just can't. And the home is just at war right now. Families, divorce, kids, like it's like we represent the transaction that has the ability to keep that home safe. And I think people are thinking more about. So I feel very fortunate and it just so happens that we've never really been compressed like other industries. It's like literally sometimes all my commute is driving up and down PCH every day, opening and closing homes and meeting with sellers on some of the best coastline in the world. And I, you know, joked with my wife sometimes I'm like, Dude, this should, we should be, this should be illegal. The amount of money <laughs> we're, we're able to make in yeah. this business. Right. We just should. So it's like, I feel very fortunate. Well, there's but, some class action suits that are saying yeah, what we're doing yeah. is illegal. But I would just say like, there's like to, to newer agents or any agents, I would say, you know, I love the Tom Ferry model that we talked about yesterday that anybody can do this business if they're committed. Mm -hmm. Like there's such a different variety of top agents throughout the US. For sure. But the problem is, is like the work that pays us there's very few people that are good and willing to do it, right? And so it just filters them out. I feel like there's, you can pay anybody to really handle a transaction well, but finding people that can actually get the business, and we talked about the show alone, it's like there's two things that pay us in this business, appointments and contracts. Mm -hmm. But 95% of the things that are taking our time are not geared at that at all. So it's like somehow it's very simple. And I think it's if you can figure out how to do that, it's a great business. It's a great business and it's a great way to have a great life and a great community. Yeah. And the work ethic that you just spoke about is, the, I think, the thing that a lot of agents miss. And I don't even know that it's work because it's not. It's, but it's very simple. Your time. You're going to move on a Sunday or on a Monday if it's the right buyer, if it's the right seller. Right. And some people want to protect their Sunday or their. it's hard to protect your weekends in this business if you're in it to the level that you are of showing the house, of listing the house. But what's interesting is I don't work weekends or nights at all. Like I will take calls always when it doesn't. Did you in the beginning though? I did, years but, in. That's where, but that's where, but that's operationally, years. that's when you have my showing agents that show my big listings are better than me. Yeah. Like I go there. I don't want to open every door. I don't want to turn the music on. I don't want to light the fireplace. I don't want to light the candle. I don't want to get the cheese plate. Yeah. Like I'm so prioritized on they are better at it. I handle all the negotiations, but those negotiations can be handled anywhere on the phone. Right. Right. I'll do some of the showings, but when you really start figuring out how to accumulate a team, a seal team, you'll realize that everybody has what they're best at and that's not what I'm best at. Yeah. Now I'm best at persuading somebody. So I will be at those second showings when it comes time to talk about the economics or how we're going to get this deal, deal structure. But when it comes to like being the person that shows up with wine and cheese and sits there for two hours, like I'm not always best at that. Yeah. So I think you can have it all, but you have to be willing to take the risk and the risk when it creates a business is you have to be willing to pay people to do the things that you are not best at. Right. And that can be hard, 
right? That can be hard because you have to be able, then you're, you know, you're working not just for your family, you're working for all these families and, and having to, to have enough. And you have to get there. So yeah. in the beginning, maybe the first decade, you're you not, but you're right. I was, but I'll be honest though. I'm an open house guy. Like if my wife, if you ask my wife, honestly, what would Tim do on Saturday and Sundays if he had his choice? Just go look at houses. He, no, she would say, oh, dude, he would sit open houses over do other stuff. Now, <laughs> on the best listings, like, I just love it. I love the deals. I love the real estate. But I don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? But maybe I'll start now that we're going into winter. <laughs> <laughs> now that the market is shifting, you're going to see Tim out there. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're not subscribed to Tim's YouTube channel, it's a must subscription it's the best listing videos in all of real estate so make we'll link it up obviously make sure you're subscribed to that i really appreciate you taking the time using your space this is a killer podcast killer time and we got to do another one too yeah we'd love to Great. thanks for having me thank you